0: Genesis House and the Friends in Recovery Podcast are proud to bring you Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast. Join your hosts, Mike the Podfather, and Jersey Ed, as they address the real issues in health and wellness for first responders, from physical and mental health to relationships and work-life balance. We leave no stone unturned. Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, Here are your friends in recovery, Answering the Call. Welcome to another episode of Answering the Call, the first responder podcast sponsored by Genesis House and produced by Sweets Productions in Beverly, Mass. And now, here are your hosts, the podfather, Mike Miles and Jersey Ed. Thank you,
1: Sweets. As always, we are happy to be here, ready and available to help our first responders out there across the country and abroad.
2: That's right, Mike. You know, I love learning about the new topics and some of the... um, so do our sort of listeners do too um i can tell from all the emails and calls that we get all the time um and in social media chatter so um it's it's just uh you know it's it's been a really good run and it's been uh, for one show we got down we had um some uh some studio um renovations last week absolutely last couple renovations. of weeks yeah it's like I a know. remake
0: i know you <laughs> got some upgrades yes. we did
2: we did the studio looks really really good um, I'm happy to be here, and uh,
1: as you can see, Friends in Recovery answering the call. That's right. We're here. And today, I actually brought a book with me, Ed. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I'm a retired police officer. You 35 are? 35 years. That's correct. Is that why you're here? That's why I'm here. All right. <laughs> Lowell, Lowell, Massachusetts Police Department. Proud to say, um, I worked with many good police officers there, and um, I have a book here. It's called A25, and what A25 stands for is Austin 25. Um Two, two people in the Lowell, city of Lowell. One of them was Harold Waterhouse. He was a police officer. And Jason Strunk was a firefighter. And the two of them became the arson Squad. There were so many fires back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. People died, uh, mass destructions of properties. Oh so, God. yeah, there were a lot of people setting fires, you know, for profit, for perverse pleasure, oh. whatever reason was. This book was written in memory of um, Jason Strunk, had a young brother who was a Berica, Massachusetts, police officer who was killed in the line of duty. He was off duty. Um, he approached a truck that was spinning its tires. He was with his family, jumped out of his car, went up to speak to the driver. Somehow he got caught up in the door. The driver took off and slammed oh, into man. a telephone pole right in front of his family, uh, killed him dead. So when I think of the Strunk family, I think of dedication and you know, heroic actions. What Harold Waterhouse and, and Jason Strunk have done over the years is they, they put an end to the, um, the fires for profit they convicted people they wow. It's just amazing. Yeah. Wow, it's a great book. I'm going to get more information on it. The next time we're on, as far as I'm pretty sure it's called a 25 and I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon.
2: Okay, good, good. And if you want, if of course, you know, email us or, you know, hit us up on Facebook and uh, Mike will be able to give you more information on that. Um, one thing, um, I've, I've been answering a lot of emails and, and, uh, getting a lot of, uh, Good feedback about the first show, Mike. Have you really? Uh, yeah, I really have. And I, I I do need to share some of them with you because there are some good things in there about you too, believe it or not. Oh,
1: I'm sure.
2: <laughs> um, but one thing somebody asked, um, which stood out, and we never discussed it, is why do we smoke cigars on this show?
1: Well, because we can. Because <laughs> we can. Yeah, it's it's our show. Right. It's p- <laughs> part of us being divas, and we said, if we're going to do a show, we're going to smoke cigars. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And, you know, the other reason, too, is, you know, it's... It, it's a serious
2: topic that we talk about with first responders and there's serious issues that we have to deal with, but also we want to have fun. We we want this to be a good time for us and for our listeners and our guests. Right. Um, so, you know, I, and you and you and I met over a cigar basically. That's right. Um. And that's how we, that's kind of how we met. And, it, um, you know,
1: it certainly forged a friendship. I'll say that. It did. And, it um, did. you know, I want to, th- I definitely want to thank did. Taylor from Genesis house for, you know, sponsoring these podcasts yeah. and uh, we don't get paid for doing this. Nope. However, he doesn't complain about a smoking (laughs) cigar on on the show. And here we have a sweet studio. And I just got to say from the first show until now, which was two weeks ago, I cannot believe what I'm seeing here. And sweets, a producer extraordinaire without a doubt has taken this place and turned it into a class, a recording studio, podcast studio. I don't even know what to call it. Unbelievable. The electronics in here, guys, this is top notch
2: electronics that you'll get anywhere. Um, the soundboard, um, Sweets' knowledge of all this stuff is unbelievable. I know this is not first responder stuff, but this is going to get the message out in the right way and 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 clear and and all the time. And uh, you know, th- this is just wonderful. I, I mean, I can't believe this is this is what we're in. The yeah. studio is unbelievable. Um, I'm gonna take a quick behind the scenes, not now, but later. Look for it on my Facebook. I'm gonna take a quick behind the scenes uh, video and I'm gonna post it on my Facebook and we'll post it on the First spot first responders page too but sweets, so you guys did a really good job here we got to give you credit you know and we were talking about it but you know you're the one who, who had all the work done and and just completely turned this place around
0: well I will say it was quite a project and uh, for those of you that saw the first video you can definitely tell that things are a little bit different and uh, we upgraded just to make sure that uh, the viewers as well as the listeners were having a great experience so uh, I know the you guys have a great message and I want to make sure the people that are watching it on YouTube uh, have a visual experience as well
1: so. right sweets i had the opportunity to play golf at probably one of the most premier definitely the most historical golf course in the in the country the first one in the country the country club in brookline we were there last tuesday and he told me he had done some work in the um in the, in the uh, podcast facility and i just can't believe when i got here this morning and walked in here i mean i saw the pictures but the pictures don't do it justice uh, no, and the no. technology, the equipment is just through the roof. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and guys, you know, feedback is always good. You know, email us, hit us up on Facebook. Let us know what you guys think of, um, of this, you know, w- with this studio here. Um, you know, I mean, you only seen a small bit of it, but the whole studio is com- really converted into a very comfortable and very relaxing, um, studio for us right. to interview guests and, um, really, you know, get some good information Absolutely. out, to, out it- to everybody, you know?
1: And as usual, you know, we're here to talk about topics that um, you know, hot warming to us and and hot felt. Uh, we're talking about police officers, firemen, EMS and correctional officers. Anybody dispatch anybody that works in the in the line of work for law enforcement or um you know, is helping people, fire department, uh, EMS. And uh, I think we've we've really hit the ground running and we have a lot of knowledge. We have a uh, some great guests, yeah. you know, lined up and uh, between the two of us and, and of course Suites. Uh, I think we're going to do a, you know, a real bang up job.
2: Yeah. And one, one thing, Mike, um, I wanted to, uh, you know, a, a long list of the, you know, the, uh, first responders is, is definitely, um, is definitely what we need on the show. But I was talking to, uh, Chris, I can't pronounce his last name. Cut He is his name. Um, this guy, it was, he does a lot of stuff for, um, for vet veterans. Um, he, um, I want to give him a shout out because he's an amazing guy. He's a runner, so he's right, right in my book. And uh, he, um, I was able to spend some time with him in the in the in, in the past week while we were off. And um, he's not a first responder, but he does a lot for the first responders. He he ran, um, I, I, you know, I don't even know what he did, but um, <laughs> he did a lot of running, a lot of rowing. This man did seven ultra marathons, which is thirty or 50, 50K, seven ultramarathons, seven days in seven um, continents. Wow. And uh, he rode the Atlantic. He has a, a Guinness Book World Records, rode the Atlantic. He said he'll be a guest on our show, wow. which would be good because he raises a lot of money for veterans. And he went off on his whole spiel yesterday about veterans and the, the care that they get and the care they don't get. Um, and that's, you know, we can use people like him on this show too. Sure. He's not a first responder, but he's in tune with, with everything as far as, as far as first responders go, you know? Um, I'm, sh-
1: I'm pretty sure Fox news did a segment on, on, on his, um, accomplishments. And, um, you know, I, I, do work with veterans and we, I forgot to mention veterans. I belong to a group VAV veterans, assisting veterans. I'm a, U um, S army veteran, U S army military police corps, 72 to 75. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate. I got out of the service with a, with no ailments. Uh, I got out when I was 21. I was just a kid, but um, you know, I look back on those three years, and and it was without a doubt probably three of the best years of my life. And you know, you're serving your country, but you don't even look at it that way. It's, it's just you look at it differently. But there are a lot of veterans that have war veterans that have been injured, wounded. Um, you know uh, as a result they' they're, they're paralyzed yeah. some of them are blind some of them lost limbs I mean yeah. there's a lot of uh, disabled veterans out there that could use our help and yeah. uh, not many people recognize them so no, no. that's off to your friend friend Chris yeah
2: yeah good job Chris and uh, we'll be talking soon hopefully me and him will run some ultra marathons together so um, but the other thing you, you said that my dad was a um, he was in the army and he actually ended up getting um, he walked in front of a tank or near a tank and his his earplugs didn't. Something happened, and um, he ended up um, going deaf in one ear and ha- hard hearing in the other ear. And they really didn't do much for him. Right. Um, they didn't recognize it. They they looked at him, and then that was it. And and you know he he kind of got the shaft. And now I see all these commercials of the earplugs didn't right. work. I mean, this is back in the '60s. My dad was in the in the army, right. but. Um, you know, it's a different world now, but everybody wants to sue everybody for everything. Let's stop suing and let's, let's take care of the problem. Let's, let's give these guys the right equipment. Let's give them the right, um, the right stuff that they need, which they do have. I'm sure they have, but, um, let's get them to help when they get out afterwards. You know, these guys, you train to be a, a war machine, a killing machine. And then when they get out, they just drop them in the middle of planet earth and say, yeah, you're on your fucking way. See you later. You know, Um, they might give him some VA VA stuff and and some benefits, you know, as far as that goes. But um, I think Chris can bring that a lot to our, uh, our attention for what he does. So um, the other thing I want to talk about before we bring on our guest, Mike is um, you and I had this idea. Um, We want to get patches from all the, uh, the listeners out there. So if you guys want to send them in, email me at um, help at friends and recovery And of course it'll be in all the show notes. and. Um, I'll give you the address where you can send them to. And, um, along with the, when you send them in from your station, your unit, your, um, um, your barracks or city town, town, whatever. Um, you know, let's, let's get these patches. And what we can do is we can display them maybe behind us Mm. or maybe on our sign or something. We want to recognize you guys. We want to hear who's listening. We have people in Texas. We have people in California, um, uh, Minnesota, um, New York here in massachusetts we have people all over the place so let's start sending those um those patches in and and you know let's 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 recognize all these guys if if you think if if, i mean if if you think it's okay right
1: yeah it's a great idea and um (laughs) (laughs) you said so much i'm trying to give up i know know it's the soda water that's killing me today (laughs) that's a good idea and i think um you know men, men and women that devote their lives to to be in first responders, our cops, our firemen, our correctional officers, our veterans—I mean, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, um, you know, would would they get into collecting patches and stuff. So yeah, that's something. It's a good idea. Absolutely. So we have a good guest today. Let's um, let's well, let's talk about her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we have uh um we have a special guest Beth Jordan uh who's joining us today. Beth is a retired police officer, uh, EMT, and she's currently a therapist. And so Beth, welcome to the show.
3: Hi there. Hi, hey Beth.
2: Hey Beth, how are you? Good. Long time no see. <laughs> we just had Beth and I just had dinner the other uh, last week out in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I, was, I went out to visit her and uh, and we work out, we work on a lot of hard cases together. Um, mm-hmm. and um, I do want to I want to give you a, 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 a shout out or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what they call it in podcast land, but you and I over this summer worked on this case. Um, And I I just want to point out the dedication before we even start interviewing. I just want to point out the dedication that Beth had to this case. And I know, Mike, I spoke to you about it some time ago. Um, We were at a conference and she said, I have this guy that wants to get in. And unfortunately, the insurance wouldn't cover just about anywhere. And we ended up, um, Beth ended up working on almost for what, three or four days straight with the insurance Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what the right place is. And it ended up that Beth felt that Genesis House was the right place for this client and she did not want him going anywhere except for Genesis house. Um, he did have any other options, but they weren't options for first responders and for the particular problem that he had. Um, and I have to give a shout out to, to, um, patient X. We're not going to mention his name, but patient X, he hung in there and he did a good job on just staying the course. He did everything you asked him to do. Um, you know, the insurance put him through the ringer. And in the end, um, you know, Beth was on the phone with everybody going back and forth, running around and, and really putting her time. I seen Beth in action. I was actually with her at the conference. Every break she got, she was on the phone. She was calling insurance companies. She was on the phone with this guy. She was discussing the case with me discussing the case with Genesis house. And um, ultimately, unfortunately the insurance wouldn't pay for it. So Genesis house did step up and we ended up taking him um, in on a scholarship. And, um, you know, he did very, very well with us. And um, that's the type of person that Beth is. And Super. Um, I, I love being around her and, and, and talking to her and, and the knowledge that she has is unbelievable. So um, that's an inter- introduction for, for Beth
1: Jordan. <laughs> so de- Beth, that was quite an introduction. <laughs> so um, what do you do? Tell us about what you're doing right now.
3: Uh, well, right now I've got a private practice I've been doing this for about ten years and I work with uh, both mental health and addictions i'm I'm licensed in both. I'm also licensed in the state of Wisconsin because they don't have a lot of uh, therapists with a first responder background either. so I've worked with uh, a little bit with their leader group, which is um, similar to our Minnesota Lima group and I do training for agencies. I do crisis response for first responder emergencies. Um, And then I see clients one-on-one and for groups and some couples counseling.
1: Wonderful. Do you find, I mean, obviously you've sat with many people um, involved with um, first responder experience and you know background and in, in, in their jobs what's the what do you see that's different like for an example like a police officer compared to a manager of a grocery store i mean uh, do do you see a difference in their, in their personality and in the in
3: and in their you know maladies their problems oh there's a huge difference and we now know uh, even with things like ptsd um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we saw PTSD as just being a thing, and now we know it It shows differently if the trauma was in childhood as opposed to adulthood, and it shows very differently between military service, first responder service, or civilian populations. And if you don't recognize that and recognize what the training for first responders does to how they behave and how they react and what they are more susceptible or not to, you're not going to be able to understand what the triggers are. Um, I also no longer take civilian clients because I was getting very tired with their casual attitude of making appointments and not showing up, mm-hmm. not paying their bills, um, arguing about things, not telling me if they changed insurance. Uh, it just became one hassle after another and I do not have that with my first responders. Um, they they call me as soon as they need a schedule change. They are very apologetic if they have to change anything. Uh, they're incredibly respectful. They work really hard at the things I give them. And sometimes I'm really hard on them uh, in order to make change. Um, I'm also fairly abrupt because of my background, uh, very directive. And they're up for that. They they want to fix the problem and they want to get to to work on it right away. And I really enjoy that in them.
1: Sure. Yeah.
2: Well, Beth, go a little bit into your background, because um, you do have a fascinating background where you came from. Um, what what gives you the the privilege to work with these guys? Um, I, I'm guessing it's your background. I know it's your background, but for yeah for TV purposes. <laughs>
3: What's your background? Okay. Um, I'm, a, I'm actually a Navy brat. My dad was a lifelong Navy. He was a pilot. Um, so I grew up with that whole end of things and the moving around and... and how that looked in my world. Um, And that really helped shape me too, to understand uh, community does sometimes have to come first. And that's a hard concept for people to get these days because they don't have that kind of community shared trauma or shared um, experience that we used to back in the 60s, 70s and and even before that. Um, So I joined, um, I first became an EMT and joined an ambulance service and um, I decided pretty quickly I was better cut out for trying to stop things from happening than to fix them after the fact. So I went to school, got a criminal justice degree, and went into law enforcement. And I did that for 21 years. I was on a SWAT team. I was a negotiator, a training officer, gun instructor. Um, I ran the chaplain program. I created and ran that for 10 years Um, I really enjoyed my job and I enjoyed some of the community outreach and some of the uh, intensity of the job. And um, after 21 years uh, on my day off, I was rear-ended by a distracted driver at a stoplight at 60 miles an hour. After a couple of years of intensive physical therapy, uh, my doctors all unanimously said, you can stay in your job, but you're going to retire in a wheelchair. So I had to pull the plug about 10 years ahead of schedule. And when I looked at my resume, it basically said, you chase things, you yell at things, and you shoot at things. (laughs) That doesn't make for a lot of job opportunities. So it was back to school. And um, I looked at my resume and almost everything I was interested in had a psychological component. So I went into psychology and decided this is what I wanted to do. And, and first responders were specifically who I wanted to work with because there's not a lot out there for them.
2: No, there's definitely
1: not. We, know, we definitely know that. It's, they're few and far between. So I kind of did the same thing. Um, I was a, a street cop for 28 years um, in a cruiser. And then the last eight years, which gave me a total of 35 years, I was the EAP for the Lowell Police Department. I went back and got my masters when I was 47 years old. Salem State University right down the street from here and um, you know it's funny because what, what I do now work with police officers and firemen and correctional officers um, they're very comfortable with me and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about I love what you said about the civilian population never keeping their appointments they take it for granted they don't want to pay their co-pays they don't want to you know, although some cops don't either because, they, you know, they are kind of stingy. But um, but but they always keep their appointments. You know, it's so nice to have someone come to my office that's all geared up. The chief sent them to see me. They don't know who I am. They don't know I'm a retired cop. And as soon as they see the stuff on the walls, my pictures and, and my police memorabilia, what a difference. They sit down, they relax. It was like we're brothers or sisters, brothers and sisters. So, I, well, I, and,
2: and that's what this podcast does is it brings people like Beth and Mike out in the forefront to, to these first responders um, to listen to this. Um, you know, if I was to sit here and say, oh, yeah, first responders, you know, I, I don't have any background. Like, like I shared in my last show, you know, I ran I ran from you guys 25 years ago with a pocket full of cane and pocket full of cocaine and and i was probably drunk most of the time that's about all i have to share with you guys but you know with with the guests that we have on and and mike you know these guys feel very comfortable with um with with speaking and you know and it shows by the last show our first show that we did is unbelievable and um you know, I can only guess it's gonna get better with guests like you, Beth, and 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 stuff like that. Um, I want to go back to a conversation that you and I had last week. Um, if you I'm <laughs> <she's> smiling. Um, <laughs> um we, we were eating dinner and and we were probably there for almost three hours and uh, mm-hmm. the poor waitress um kept coming over um and asking, Are you guys ready to order? Are you ready to order? And we're like, No, 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 no. It just we we just get together and we just talk and talk. But the population that you work with is is fascinating. as first responders, but um, mm-hmm. the, the the one population you were talking about was borderline. Um, do you mind talking speaking a little bit a little bit on, on borderline?
3: Sure. Um, and the reason that I got into that whole end of things was that I was um, asked to assist a colleague of mine who was working on a group project writing a book on forensic mental health for um, corrections courtrooms, that sort of thing, and we worked together on the chapter for borderline personality disorder. Um, I've also worked with quite a few of them in the addictions field as their counselor, so I I got to understand that, and what some of my colleagues who also have military or or first responder backgrounds and I have noticed is that um, people with borderline personality disorder that literally comes from trauma or harm that has been happened that happened in childhood. And it it changes their wiring for emotional connection. So mm-hmm. they don't understand emotional connectedness and they don't understand um, emotions the way we do. Mm-hmm. And instead it ends up being more of a transactional process rather than an emotional connectedness process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of the harm and because it, it it occurs usually in childhood, they move forward with this idea that they are not safe and they never feel safe. And that's an emotional thing, but because they don't understand emotions because that's been damaged in them, they just simply never feel safe. And we see that they are often drawn to people in the community that make us safe. And that's military and first responders
2: yeah beth and, real quick we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here we're gonna talk about sure. the, being the feeling safe and the borderline personalities um, when we get back uh, right after these messages
0: since 1992 genesis house has been helping real people heal from addiction on their private recovery campus in beautiful palm beach county florida their family-owned program is accredited by the joint commission and offers detox and dual diagnosis treatment in a comfortable and confidential setting. The First Responder Recovery Program at Genesis House is led by a doctorate level therapist with direct professional experience as a first responder himself. Treatment modalities focus on psychiatric care, relapse prevention, stress management, and trauma-informed care for PTSD. Learn why their individualized approach makes a difference for first responders. Call Genesis House today at one 800 737 0933 to speak with someone who understands. Visit them on the web at www.genesishouse.net. It's time to start your journey to a long and successful recovery.
1: Beth, welcome back to the show. It was very interesting uh, what you were talking about the uh, borderline personalities and how they, they gravitate and feel safe with police fire. You know, I see kids hanging outside police stations and all over the years. You know, and the firemen always, and firewomen, always great, you know, graciously out there talking with them, fixing their bikes, shooting hoops with them, you know, and and as a cop, I can remember taking off my pistol belt, throwing it in the trunk, could never do it today, and and throwing up some hoops with kids, buying them ice cream, getting the ice cream Mm -hmm. truck to come by, and those kids turn into adults, and you know, some of them actually come into our field, they come in as police officers, firemen, EMS, um, joining the service, And, and I've been. I've been fortunate enough. One good thing that comes with old age is that you get to see these kids grow up, and they invite you to some of their festivities when they graduate from the police academy or the fire academy or go into the service, you know. So it was really interesting hearing that about borderline. I think that was a great topic uh, to speak about.
2: Absolutely. Now, again, uh, this topic was we had almost a three-hour discussion last time I met with Beth about the borderlines. Um, so the, you physically see the first responder as a borderline sometimes. Or, or is it their spouse's mainly?
3: It, it's usually a family member, like a spouse. Um, sometimes the first responder is related mm-hmm. to somebody with with borderline or borderline traits, like a parent or a sibling. Um, and what happens is um, those people feel very safe being around somebody who provides safety in the form of first responder. Um the the real thing to to keep in mind though is that a lot of people who are have trauma in childhood don't necessarily become uh borderline personality disorder what what they what happens is if they have a stable person in their life um a role model that they can turn to to get that emotional component and connectedness like you know, hanging out with the local fire department and shooting hoops, or if they've got one stable parent and one unstable parent, they're not as likely to develop a personality disorder later in life. Um, But they are the ones who do are very much drawn to those kinds of occupations or people in those occupations, because it tends to make them feel safe. Mm -hmm. However, It's kind of a false safety because their issues are internal, not external. They're not in external danger. It's an internal emotional safety need. And just being around another person isn't going to fix that. Um, So I end up seeing a lot of relationships that are becoming very toxic because the person with a disorder starts, um, they get triggered or they start having problems and it creates Problems for the, the first responder. Mm-hmm.
1: So hence the uh, high sui- um, suicide rate in corrections and law enforcement and divorce rate and corrections and law enforcement. Would you think that? I think, the- I think it
3: contributes a great deal to that because if one, one of the components of these relationships is that they, the first responder often, these are people who are high drive, high energy and very much into fixing and helping. And if the other person in the relationship keeps saying, you need to make me feel safe, you need to help me, you need to do this better, or if you do that, I'll feel safe, or if you do that, I'll, I'll feel good. And it's not always that direct. A lot of times it's, it's much more subtle, but that constant drip, drip, drip of it's your job to make this happen, when that first responder <laughs> can fix that internal problem from the other person's right. I, I do see that contributing a sure. lot to suicides because people commit suicide when they don't feel competent as human beings.
2: So, so d- the border the borderlines make you feel incompetent? Is that what it's it's like? So they have the control it, it over. It can you. lead
3: to that. Yeah, yeah, because you can never fix it. Yeah. If your job in the world is to fix problems for other people and the one that you love the most you can never help or fix, that's gotta make people feel very, very as a as yeah. a person
2: yeah absolutely um
3: and on top of that people with borderline often become either suicidal or or self-harm because they can never feel safe
2: yeah yeah um and and, and you treat the you treat the borderlines there and and you you will treat their families because you said you do couple counseling also
3: i i work with the first responders i do not work with the spouses but i do have okay, okay. I routinely will refer them to. So if I'm seeing a first responder and they need couples counseling, I have some trusted um, marriage and family therapy counselors. I will send them to as a couple. Good. I, I will insist, you know, your spouse also needs to be seeing somebody one-on-one to help them get some coping skills for what they're dealing with because the the relationship can't last otherwise.
2: The way it's going yeah um and, and we can talk hours on this subject and we did last time we were together um i i did want to point one thing out and i think this is something good for for the first well for anybody in counseling and and maybe the first responders world um you, you told me something fascinating in in our meeting um last week um you can tell how somebody feels by when they just come into your office. He's smiling again. Yeah. Um, by the way they come into your office. I thought that was pretty fascinating. You know, I was reading Brian Casey's book. Um, he's going to be a guest um, on our show. And he he said, you know, a police officer's job is to read the room, to read, understand what's going on. Um, and I think of, I, I know I do that because I have to develop relationships with people. But you guys do that on a different level. And it was fascinating if you want to just go, if you, if you want to reveal your secret, um, if you don't want to, you can, you can uh, stay anonymous on that, but uh, about your waiting room.
3: <laughs> yeah. So my waiting room, you come into my office suite, you come directly into the waiting room and, um, on the sidewall, the the front wall is the door from the hallway and the sidewall is the door back into the office area. Um, and I have chairs along the other two walls and I can tell, by where somebody is standing or sitting and, and how they are looking or where they are looking. When I open the door, I can tell exactly what kind of a state they're in, how anxious or nervous they are, or if they've been triggered.
2: Wow. That's, that's amazing. I mean, and that, and this conversation go on for, for days too. And have do you see that Mike? Do Absolutely. you understand, do you understand sure. that?
1: I, I share office with four, um, incredibly gifted, uh, clinical social workers. They're all uh, licensed social workers. One of them is a widow of a police officer who passed away in his mid thirties from uh, a cancer. And the other women are all, they're just wonderful therapists. I've learned a lot from them, but we have kind of a liberal atmosphere in the waiting room where we have Oprah magazines and we have time and life or whatever. But (laughs) in my office, it's all police all day long pictures, uh, old pictures from 1800s, it's a lot of police memorabilia, some of the awards I've won over the years, it's kind of a, an atmosphere that it might be called a busy atmosphere but what I do is I bring clients in I tell them I'll be right back, I usually go make a cup of tea or I just go wash my hands I let them absorb what they're about to <laughs> sit in for an hour 45 minutes to an hour and when I come back I can always tell you know who's basically they, wanna, they ask questions about what's on the wall, some people completely ignore it but anybody that's in law enforcement or e- EMS usually has a comment about it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it, it's what you just said. It gives me an insight into, um, you know, what we're going to be discussing, which is, you know, kind of an upper hand. I don't think they realize no one's ever said to me, is that why you let me in here for five minutes by myself? Or <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: you know, when you walk into a room and I, and I know I think. You know, as you, as police officers, when you guys walk into a room and you have to assess the situation, see what's going on, if there's weapons, if there's whatever the case may be, um, you know, you have to make that assessment pretty quickly. So your your life or anybody's lives are, in, are not in danger. And if they are, you have to know how to wipe that danger out immediately. And um, that's good to know that you do that in both of you guys do that in, uh, in therapy sessions. And uh, cause you want to wipe that danger out really quickly, figure out what's going on with that person, why they're not feeling good that day. And uh, cause it could be life or death. That guy might walk out of your office and say, you know, fuck it. I don't want to live anymore. And you know, and do, I've had that do. happen.
1: I had a fireman uh, hug me on a Tuesday. He was going through a domestic with his wife and one of his children. Um, he was a low firefighter, great guy. And uh, he'd been sober a little over 30 days. Everything was going wonderfully. and. and um, he walked out of my office on a Tuesday. He was a big guy; he's about six two. He gave me a hug. I'm five eight, a little uncomfortable, you know. But uh, <laughs> but a great guy. And uh, I got a call Saturday morning. I just pulled into this beach house, uh, family beach house up in Maine. I got a call that he had hung himself in the yeah. in the uh, hose tower, the tower where the firemen, you know, put their hoses to to drain. And um, it was horrible. It was horrific, you know. And it just made me question my ability as a therapist. And, That was my question to you. I'm sure you've had cases where there's been bad results. And uh, do you feel the guilt? Do you feel like you didn't do enough? Um, Do you question your ability? Um, And and, um, is that a common thing, do you think, for therapists?
3: Um, I think it's terribly common. And anytime I have a client who um, has committed suicide or is hospitalized or Um, ends up going to inpatient someplace, I will immediately go straight to my notes and start reviewing them and look for, what did I not see here? Um, Also had extensive training and I'm a specialist in police suicide and I took the COPS training years ago, which is an excellent program. I know that the signs in first responders are going to be immensely subtle compared to what we are expecting to see. It's gonna be, Things as simple as, you know, the officer who's always the first one on a call suddenly is the uh, ticket Nazi on the department instead. Everybody just overlooks. that and says, hey, you know, he's <clears throat> one of our most productive guys. Yeah, but if you change focus that completely, that's a warning sign. Sure. But we miss them a lot. And, and responders don't ask for help. And the last place they break down is going to be in front of other help. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: you, you say you miss them a lot, but you catch a lot too, Beth. How, how, and, and, you know, you, Mike, and all the other folks out there helping the first responders, how many lives, you know, I, I know we don't like to say we save lives, but you do, you know, how many times did you, you know, maybe that person that walked in your office that didn't feel right that day is walking out of the office, having something to live for now. And, um, you know, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, cut yourself down. As far as that goes, um, we can't save everybody, you know, in the drug and alcohol field, Mm -hmm. you know, we hear the deaths too, because of all the opiates and fentanyl out there. Um, Unfortunately, we can't save everybody, but we, we try to Mm -hmm. our best. And you know what, that one person that we saved, um, today or whatever it is, or we help get their life back in order. Um, it's a, it's a check in the, in the W's column for us. Mm -hmm. And we want that even if it's just one or two, like Mike said, on one of our earlier shows, well, our, our last show, um, is that you know we, we want to just save one life out of this show, and I think we're going to say help save more than one lives by giving everybody this information and having guests like you on, and um, you know, and kind of um, you know, get getting the word out. Um, we're running out of time here, but Beth, real quick, tell us the name of your um your your practice and, and how somebody can get a hold of you. Um, If they want to chat or um, send you an email or whatever, and uh, maybe come see you if they're in the Minnesota area, or you can recommend a a therapist outside the area.
3: Sure. My business is uh, Jordan Consulting and Counseling. I'm in Maple Grove, Minnesota, which is the northwest corner of the Twin Cities. Um, I also do video sessions, but again, I'm only licensed in Minnesota and Wisconsin. So if you're in Texas, I cannot do video sessions. (laughs) uh you've got work on that license, license in Texas. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um but they can reach me directly through my website as well i've got uh, c- uh contact me through there and that's uh jordancand and c dot com j o r d a n c a n d c dot com
2: and of course all that'll be in the liner notes uh liner notes the uh show notes too so uh so just look forward um if you you know if you're uh, if you're on if you're listening to us it's all in the show notes so Well, I'd like to thank uh, Beth Jordan. Um, She's a wonderful guest for joining us today. Um, It was just a a very informative. You're informative, very amazing. You're a great therapist. And anybody in Minnesota, the 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 Minneapolis area, if they can get to you, please, you know, get to Beth. She's definitely for the first responders. She's well worth going to see if you have any kind of problems or you want to work anything out. I really highly recommend her. So, thanks again, Beth.
1: Thank you, Beth. Very enlightening. Thank yeah. you so much.
2: Yeah. Well, Mike, that was a good show. Um, Great show. Yeah, yeah. We uh, uh, covered a lot of topics there, and yeah. I know, um, I know, we spent some time on a few different things. But this is what it's about, Absolutely. you know, getting this information out, and, and you know, maybe somebody's sitting there saying, um, you know, maybe my loved one or my spouse is a borderline, or maybe you know, I don't, I'm not feeling good today. Maybe I do need to go see a person like Mike Miles or or Beth Jordan. So, well,
1: I think what's important is suicide is such a, uh, you know, a final. Um, dagger in the heart for anybody, especially the family. And, and, you know, it's um, just one recently in, in Sweets hometown, a police officer committed suicide. I think he had four or five children, you know, young, young, young adults, you know, young teens. I mean, and uh, you know, I've been to several funerals where, you know, the, the uh, casualty of of this job, I'd like to say um, has has caused suicide. And, um, you know, having someone like Beth, who's just so in tune to, exactly you know she knows right away and, and i gotta say i've I've had i've had firemen and police officers go in correctional offices go see um regular therapists a therapist who's i shouldn't say regular a therapist who doesn't have the training or the background and you know i, I don't know how much they get out of it because sometimes they're afraid to talk about their their concerns or issues they don't want to lose their their job they don't want to lose the ability to carry a firearm you know um they're afraid to talk about suicide ideation which is a common place for anybody in this in, in in law enforcement, especially, because we go to suicides. And sometimes if you're out of suicide and your own life isn't in order and you're having problems like everybody does, because cops are just a merit image of society, as you know Ed. Yeah. You know, um, it could trigger them. So yeah. well, you know you what
2: know, the the thing with police officers, especially police officers, you and I work with police officers all the time, but first responders, um, you know, we all have trauma in our lives. We'll have, it might be PTSD. Something might've happened to us in our childhood. Um, life isn't perfect, but you guys, you know, we can back out of it. We don't have to go into it. We don't have to run into a fire. I, I've never pulled right. a weapon out on somebody and told them to get down on a fucking ground. I never did any to any of that. Um, but once you guys do that you might have to take the next step whatever that might be you know what I mean and and we know sometimes it doesn't it doesn't end well right. if they're not listening and you have to force yourself into that situation where we don't have to and a lot of trauma comes up and again you guys are human beings you feel me touching you right <laughs> you, you guys are human beings and you know you're, you're just like you know myself and sweet and um, you know but you guys have to force yourself in those situations and that's where that Trauma and PTSD really kick up, then. Right. You know,
1: I've been in a lot of fights, and I, I can tell you 99% of the time, there wasn't something I initiated or wanted to do, but you have no choice. Yeah. If somebody's attacking someone, you have to stop it. If someone's going to attack you, you have to defend yourself yeah. or defend somebody who's standing behind you. And sometimes you go on a call and you, you go to save somebody, a spouse who's being attacked, and all of a sudden you're being attacked by the, the victim, you know, as well as the suspect, yeah. you know, and, and that's happened to me once. I had a call for help. I had a man and a woman, both of them on me, big people. And, um, it was really, it was disturbing. I was wondering if they were going to try to get my gun. If, if this was a setup, is there a knife involved? A million things were going through my head while I'm rolling around the living room on a Saturday morning, yeah, you yeah. know?
2: And that's true. That's stuff that uh, civilians don't listen. Don't, don't think about, you know, you guys, you know, you're gonna pull your gun out, and, and we think you guys got, got it all under control. No, because it's, it's an unpredictable yeah. situation. Right. Right. Is a guy gonna grab my gun? W- what's gonna to happen to me? Yeah, absolutely, Split absolutely. absolutely. Oh. So. Hey, good
1: show today, Ed. Yeah, and I, um, I want to put the book out again. A twenty-five. I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon. Harold Waterhouse and Jason Strunk. These guys, um, they they changed they changed the city that was being um, systematically. Um, I do want to say burnt down, but there was tons of fires, yeah. casualties, deaths. And these two men, these two heroes, I, I call them, um, they, they changed it and they, they made a difference. And uh, talk about a wealth of knowledge. Maybe we can get uh, Harold, he's 92, on the show sometime.
2: Yeah, get him, get him on the show. And, right. and that stuff will be in the, um, in the notes too. Right. We'll, we'll get all that information in there.
1: So, so I want to thank Genesis House. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, uh, you know, um, if you have any questions or you'd like to be a guest on our show um, we, or submit a question um, for a topic for discussion, please visit our Facebook page. It's answering the call, the First Responders Podcast, or send us a message um, by email at help at friendsandrecoverypodcast.com.
1: Right. And we don't, we would be very remiss if we didn't thank Sweets for this beautiful
2: oh, studio. Oh, yeah. Sweets. We didn't hear from you on this episode. Yeah. Sweets, how are
0: you over Still there? Still there, Sweets? I'm here. You're Doing right. well. How do we do? You did fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Guys, this is a great show. <laughs> do
2: <Did> we, <laughs> we sound like we know
0: what we're talking about? <laughs> it sounded that way. <laughs> we'll yeah. leave that up to the listeners. Yes. Right?
2: Yeah. Send us emails on that, too, if you guys have anything that you want to uh, kind of add to to this right Um, and as
1: always we are grateful for the privilege to share our stories and insight with you the listener
2: that's right stay safe
0: everybody that concludes this episode of answering the call the first responder podcast thanks to genesis house for sponsoring the show and supporting our first responders who are struggling with addiction and mental health follow us on facebook for past shows and updates if you are interested in becoming a guest on the show email us at health at friendsandrecoverypodcast.com